Well, we are uh, well into the new year, a full week into the new year. In just a couple of days ago was Friday, Friday, January 6th. January 6th was a significant day on uh, several different fronts. First of all, it was the last day that the House did not have a speaker. Now they do, so they can go on and run our country with the efficiency of the U.S. government. It was also the second anniversary of the storming of the Capitol building, which was not our finest moment in American history. But maybe more significantly, on Friday, two days ago, on January 6th, that was the last day that the Christmas lights on my house were illuminated. <laughs> That's when I pulled the plug after that. Now, some of you are saying right now, Bob, no, 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 their Christmas lights will give you a grace up to January 1, but not the 6th. And, and some of you are saying, you, you're done already? Uh, you know, it's not July. Okay, I get that. But you may be saying, well, why January 6th? Is that just some random date? And no, it's not. I will tell you that we unplug our Christmas lights after January 6th for a very significant reason, a reason that dates back almost 1,700 years, back to the year roughly 361. In the year 361, thereabouts, in the church tradition, the liturgical calendar, January 6th was designated as Epiphany. Now, some of you who were raised in a church that celebrated or went along with the church calendar, you remember that, oh, Epiphany, I remember what that was, I remember that. Some of you have never heard that word. In fact, you're wondering if I should even say it in public or at least in church. Epiphany said. Some of you say, well, that's a nice word, but I have no clue what it is. Well, maybe you'll be a little more familiar with this, that January 6th is also the 12th day of Christmas. Some of you have heard a song about 12 days of Christmas. You can say, I had no idea that had any relationship to anything but just this song with all these crazy things and lords leaping and maids milking and such. Which, by the way, the CPI, the Christmas Price Index, which does this every year, calculated if you gave all of those gifts to your true love this year, in 2022, it would have cost you $45,523.27. So if, church, if I am your true love, just write the check. <laughs> don't give me Lords of Leaping. I don't care about geese laying, whatever. So, but it's that 12th day of Christmas. It's also known as the Three Kings Day because in church tradition and with the liturgical calendar, it was at least designated, maybe believed, but designated that on January 6th would have been the day that the Magi arrived. They weren't, you know, our nativity scenes with the angel and the shepherds and the Magi inaccurate. The angel wasn't there. She, he left in the field. Okay. The, the shepherds were there, but the magi probably weren't because it says when they came to the house. So they designated January 6th. Now I've given you a lot of detail to say this, that in the liturgical calendar, it's this thing in the church where these, these annual rhythms, these kind of anchor points, these benchmarks of observances that happen throughout the year. Thus my lights go off on epiphany after epiphany. So we as Cornwall Church don't follow the liturgical calendar as closely as other traditions, other denominations, other churches do. Now, there are some we obviously do, Christmas and Advent, Easter, but we don't do really a big deal on Ash Wednesday or Lent or, or Pentecost or those kind of things. However, we have some of our own church rhythms, kind of these anchor points, these, these observances that we have, not based on hundreds of years of church history, but on decisions that we've made around here. And one of them that's relatively new 
is an annual tradition, an annual rhythm, an observance that we do in January now. It's been around for about four years or so as a church. And that is our 21 days of prayer and fasting. little quick history on this. Uh, we had uh, been exposed, uh, some of our pastors have been exposed to a church that does this every year. And we thought, what a powerful thing. This was back in 2017, I believe. In 2018, Pastor Jeff, uh, our executive pastor and I, said, well, maybe the church isn't ready for this, but let's try it, you and I. So he and I did a 21 days of prayer and fasting. It was great. The next year, 2019, we said, why don't we invite our pastors and our elders and our staff to be a part of this? And we did. And then for those of you who've been around, you know that in 2020, I did a three-week series talking about what is the spiritual discipline of fasting. And then we embarked as a church on a 21-day adventure of prayer and fasting together. And so this is the fourth year, and this is one of our annual rhythms here at this church. What a beautiful thing when we together unite for the same purpose at the beginning of a year to start off seeking God. Now, this whole concept of fasting is a spiritual discipline that the people of God have been practicing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. As individuals, Moses fasted, David fasted, Elijah fasted, Jesus fasted, Esther fasted, John the Baptist fasted, Anna fasted. Not just individuals, but there have been times when there were groups that said, let's come together and fast together. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the four of them, that's a little quad, they fasted together. There are times when the church, individual churches said, we're going to fast for this season for different purposes. The church in Antioch, we'll see in just a few minutes. There was a time when Esther called a group together. There was a time when the entire nation of Israel would come together and fast and seek the Lord. And interestingly enough, there was a time in this country's history when Abraham Lincoln was the president, when he called the United States to a season of prayer and fasting. Oh, how I long for those days. But regardless of that, we as a church can do the same. Jesus was no stranger to this discipline of fasting. He fasted, no doubt, in the annual fast that the, the Jewish people uh, participated in. Before he started his ministry, he went into a season of prayer and fasting in the wilderness. And when he taught his famous Sermon on the Mount, he addressed this discipline of fasting. And in Matthew, he says, when you fast. And later, he would say to his disciples, about his disciples, then they will fast. And when you see this, it's, it's not that Jesus said, you must. He's just almost like assumed we would. When you fast. And then he goes on to address some abuses of this, this motives behind some of these disciplines. And then later, when some of the people were asking why his disciples didn't fast like maybe John the Baptist's disciples did, why they weren't as regimented or maybe even legalistic, Jesus said, hey, listen, they will fast. And so you begin to wonder if, if Jesus just kind of assumed, expected that his disciples would fast, then maybe we should. And, and I know, I, this is, the whole concept of fasting is so terribly un-American in our consumeristic mindset, where the last thing we would ever want to do is deny ourselves or sacrifice anything for ourselves, where pleasure is the highest goal, where, where self-denial is the, the worst thing at all, why would we do this? Maybe because we're followers of Jesus. So for the last four years, we, we've used a working definition for fasting. This is probably not the best definition. It's probably not complete. But it's, in essence, this. Voluntary denial for spiritual purposes. 
Voluntary denial for spiritual purposes. Let's just walk through that. This whole idea of this spiritual discipline and our 21 days of prayer and fasting is voluntary. I don't want to guilt you into it. I don't want to manipulate you into it. I don't want to twist your arm. I don't want to coerce you. This is something that you can choose to participate in. This is a decision that you make of your own free will, your own volition. This isn't something that you should do because everyone else is or because someone's expecting you to. I want this to be a voluntary thing. I want this to do, be something you want to do and participate in. Right. It's a voluntary denial. And with that, it's in essence saying no to something good in order to say yes to something better. We'll explore this a little bit more. Saying no to something good. Now, historically, fasting has primarily been about saying no to food or certain foods. And you can understand why. But I don't think it's limited to that. It's saying no to other things, too, that are, are good. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. They're blessings. But saying no for now, but not forever. Saying no to something good so that I can say yes to something better. Yes to someone better. Now, sometimes when it comes to fasting, people say, well, well maybe I should give up this vice. <laughs> okay. Yes, you should. I think it was John MacArthur that said, giving up a vice is not fasting. That's called obedience. <laughs> fasting is giving up something good for something better. Now, with that said, if you need to give up a vice, by all means, Use these 21 days to kickstart your giving up that advice. That, that's fine. But it's voluntarily denying yourself for spiritual purposes. Because many of us have fasted for medical purposes. Fast X numbers of hours before they do the blood draw. Fast X number of hours before they do this procedure or this surgery. We, we've done that for medical purposes. That's not what we're talking about here. Some of you have fasted for health purposes. And kind of I'm going to do a, a system cleanse or I'm going to try to lose some weight or I'm going to do some intermittent fasting to help with uh, inflammation or whatever. That's not what we're talking about. There are some that have done fast uh, for maybe a political reason, uh, for, to uh, accentuate an, an issue or a, a, an injustice. This is for spiritual purposes. And most often, when you see biblical fasting, most often it's paired together. It's connected with prayer and fasting. And people throughout scripture and throughout history have done this spiritual purpose fasting for different reasons. Very often, and very often in the Old Testament especially, it's, it's a time of, of repentance, of, of humbling yourselves. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a fasting to, to, uh, to strengthen against temptation. Sometimes if fasting was because of a need for, for wisdom, insight, divine guidance, or maybe some some divine intervention in a situation that only God could, could make things right here. And so they would pray and fast, thus Esther and, and her friends. And sometimes it's just a part of worship, a part of loving God, a part of surrender to the goodness of God and to see this. I mentioned that there are times that individual churches have done this. If you were with us when we studied the book of Acts several years ago, you may remember Actually, you probably won't. I only remember it because I preached it four three times a weekend. But the church in Antioch was probably the least likely place where the kingdom of God should have flourished. And yet Paul went there and things began to happen. And it actually became kind of the center for the sending uh, throughout Paul's missionary journeys and taking the gospel into Asia Minor and throughout the world. Well, in Acts chapter 13, you read about this church in Antioch. 
And it says this in chapter 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. That this was a part of their worship. They're, they're praising God. They're worshiping him. They're seeking him. They're filling themselves with the word of God. And they're fasting. They're involved in this spiritual discipline. Whatever that looks like, we don't know the specifics. But as they're worshiping God and fasting, God reveals to them something that he has for them. Something that he wants them to do. And it's during this season. And I wonder if part of that is while we, as, while we empty ourselves, God fills us, maybe gives us some direction, some insight that we would not have received had we not been fasting. Maybe. One of the most downplayed individuals in the whole Christmas narrative is a, a, an old widow named Anna. And I say that only calling her old because the Bible does. So I'm just quoting scripture. <laughs> it's not a, She's about my mom's age. Anyway, <laughs> this is what it says in Luke 2 about Anna. There was also a prophetess, Anna. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. So here's this, this young bride who has this some tragic ending to her marriage. Her, her husband of seven years passes away and now she's a widow. Then it says, she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. So this is a part of her spiritual discipline. And what's interesting, this is all taking place when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, baby Jesus, there to be dedicated and probably to be circumcised. They bring him, and Anna sees this little baby, and it says in the following scriptures that Anna began to tell everyone about this child. She's never met this child. She doesn't know this family. But there's something, maybe because of her prayer and fasting, that God has given her some insights, given her some clues, given her some wisdom about this child. And you see this. What's interesting to me, and, and I, I'm hesitant to say this because I, I haven't studied it enough to know if this is actual, but it seems to me that fasting in the Old Testament has a tendency to lean more towards the repentance, get back on track, uh, the somber, uh, humble yourself before God, which Israel had many opportunities to do that. And in the New Testament, it seems more like it's towards this worship and, and seeking God and, and, and praising him for his goodness. Now, I, I don't know that exactly, but it seems that way. And in the Old Testament, about six or 700 years before Christ, Israel had these annual fasts that they would do four times a year. The fourth month, the fifth month, the seventh month, and the tenth month. And they weren't just random days. They all had a connection with some really bad experiences they had had as a nation. They were all related to the Babylonian exile. And each of these commemorated something that happened, a battle where there was a defeat and many lives that were lost, the overthrowing of Jerusalem, the taking down of the king, of taking them off to exile. And four times they would go back and they would pray and they would fast. And remember, that the whole reason the Babylonian exile happened is because Israel had become unfaithful to God. And God says, unless you get back on track, and God would give chance after chance after chance, so patient, he says, then I'm going to need to put you in a, basically a 70-year timeout, and I'm going to use that pagan group, the, Bab uh, the, the Babylonians, to do this. They're going to be my instrument. And that's why that happened. So they began to remember that over the years with these days of fasting to remember how rebellious they had been and the consequences to their sin and the, the justice that God brought about and brought them back to. Well, Zechariah writes about this. And look at this incredible verse in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 19. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fasts of the fourth, fifth, and seventh, and tenth months, the, these commemorating these horrible things that have happened, will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals. At these somber, uh, humble yourself and, and repent moments can be transformed into these joyful, celebratory, humbling worship experiences. And I thought, what if? What if that was the attitude that we took when it came to 21 days of fasting? Because some of you who've been around for the last few years heard me say 21 days of prayer and fasting, and your first thought was, oh, we're doing that again? And it wasn't with anticipation. I get it. But I just want to say, if your attitude right now is, I'll power through this. February cannot get here fast enough. And at the end of it, you say, there, did it. Are you happy? The answer is no. I'm not happy. You're not happy. And quite frankly, with that attitude, your heavenly father isn't happy either, young man. <laughs> so I would say if that's your attitude about this, what I'm telling you about, two options for you. One, adjust your attitude. <laughs> or two, just don't do it. Right. This is voluntary. No one's going to twist your arm. Right. You know, well, there's grace here. You say, I'm not into that. Well, then, for heaven's sake, don't do it because you're not going to get anything out of it with that kind of an attitude. It's my parents speaking right there. <laughs> you see, when it comes to fasting, fasting can be dutiful or it can be beautiful. And our attitude and our approach will completely dictate which one it will be. And I was thinking about that, just two different approaches and two different focuses and, and two different ways of, of doing fasting of what does it look like to be dutiful in this and what does it look like to be beautiful in this. So I put together a little list. If you approach fasting dutifully, you'll see it as an obligation, but if you approach it beautifully, you'll see it as an invitation. If you approach it as a duty, all you're going to focus on is what do I have to give up as opposed to this beautiful idea of how is God going to fill me up? If it's just a duty, you're going to just try to endure it. But if it's a thing of beauty, it's something to anticipate. If it's duty, it's, it's guilt and dread. But beauty is filled with grace and joy. The honest truth is if you approach this dutifully, it really is all about you. What you're doing, what you're giving up, how much you're going to have to pay for this and pain and hunger and all this. It's all self-centered. But the beautiful approach is that it's all about God. And if it's all about you at the end of it as a duty, you'll be so prideful. Look what I did. Look how spiritual I am. Look what, you know, it's my self-control. But if you approach it beautifully, there'll be humility. Who God is and who I am and how good he is to me. And at the end of a dutiful fast, you're just hangry. You're just hangry. But if it's beautiful, it's like getting a Snickers. You're satisfied. And I thought, what if? What if this year when we did this, that we had this heart adjustment where we're saying, you know, I'm going I'm to lean towards the beautiful side of things. I'm going to see this as an invitation where God's going to meet me, and I'm anticipating him to fill me up, and I'm going to focus on him, and I want to humble myself before him, and I want to see this satisfaction. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
I seek you. And then there's almost this fasting kind of terminology. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Then verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. I'm earnestly seeking and I am satisfied. So, starting Wednesday, we're embarking on our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And you might be saying, well, well why 21 days? Is that just kind of a, a nice, you know, seven's the perfect number and three's the trinity and you may, you know, no, okay, no, no. There's a lot of options. There, you know, arbitrary. There were one-day fasts in the scriptures, three-day fast, 10-day fast, 21-day fast, 40-day fast. We chose three weeks uh, because of Daniel a little bit. Also, we felt like three days wasn't quite enough, 40 days maybe a little too much. 21 days gives us ample opportunity to experience this in maybe multiple different ways. But this year, my prayer and my goal is that our 21 days will be a season of seeking. When the psalmist says, earnestly, I seek you, that that would be why we're doing this, that we would be seeking God. Isn't that what Jesus says? Seek, and here's a promise, and you will find. Seek first the kingdom of God and the promise, and all these things will be added to you. And Amos, we read these words, the prophet Amos says, this is what the Lord says to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Seeking and satisfied. The prophet Joel speaks of a time when when they called the whole nation together for one of these moments. In Joel chapter 2, it says this, blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children. He's saying, listen, let's do this together. Let's get the whole, all of our families on board. Bring in the elderly, the senior saints. Let's, let's all do this together. There was a, a, another season, um, one of the common seasons in Israel's history where they had strayed way away from God. And Asa was the king. And it was real obvious that they needed to have a reset, to kind of uh, reboot, to get, get back on track. They were way off. And the prophet Azariah came to Asa and said to him these words, listen, if you and the people will seek God, he will be found by you. Which is a cool way of saying that. He will be found. It's kind of like he's dropping hints. He's there waiting to be found. And so Asa goes to the people of Israel and he he tells them this. And look at what, I love this out of 2 Chronicles. Look at what they said. They entered into, this is the whole nation, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. So just think about this. If we as Cornwall Church just said, hey, we're going to do this, those who want to, voluntarily, and we're going to take it seriously, I mean, like covenant kind of seriously, with the main purpose and the main goal is to seek God, Not with this motive that somehow by fasting I'm going to twist his arm and somehow squeeze and wring a few more blessings and a few more answers of prayer that it's all about what I can get out of this. No, instead, what if this whole idea of, of fasting is making room 
in our lives, making room in our schedule, making room in our mental space, making room in the noise around us, making room to just seek more of God, to reduce some things, to eliminate some things, to say no to some things, to declutter some things. And it's not about getting more from God, but rather gaining more of God, more of his presence, which brings more of his peace, more of his power to hear his voice more clearly, to understand the beauty of his will and to submit to it more. And oh, the promises that as we seek, we will find. You know, sometimes um, we will say, you know what? My favorite, my favorite verse in the Bible, and this is not to put you down if this is your favorite verse in the Bible, okay? Can we just get that clear? Because you're going to think I'm picking on you. I'm not. Like, I love that Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of prophecy, okay. Yeah, great, 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 great verse. I love the verse two verses later. This promise in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That promise. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not just trying to get more stuff from me. It's getting more of him. St. Augustine said this. To fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek him the greatest adventure, to find him the greatest human achievement. To seek him is the greatest adventure. What if our attitude was this 21 days is this adventure? Like going after buried treasure, as the Bible would say. Something worth more than gold, sweeter than honey. The adventure to seek God in his presence. So, that's what I would invite you to. Now, that's the end of my sermon. <laughs> but we're not done. Because I want to talk for the rest of our time about some just practical, logistical ideas of how to go about this. The first thing, as we've already pointed out, is to have the right mindset, the right attitude, this anticipation, this is an adventure. I get to go and do this. this is, I get to seek God. That's the first thing. The other half of the equation, I would say, is I want to encourage you, if you want to be involved with this, is to make an intentional plan. Make an intentional plan of what do these 21 days look like. Now, I know there's two kinds of people in this room right now. Some of you are planners. You love spreadsheets. You love lists. I mean, if someone has to uh, take the garbage out, you've got a spreadsheet and a whole policy uh, about how to do that. And, and you love that and check these things off. That's great. Some of you are like, ah, plans, spread, what's a spreadsheet? I'm, I'm good. Retire? Yeah, I'm going to retire someday. Savings? Maybe. Yeah, I think. We'll see. Now, for both of you, for those of you who are planners, spreadsheets, you're going to love this, but can I caution you against becoming checklist-oriented, of becoming so legalistic and regimented with your, your thing that you're so locked in that you miss maybe what the Spirit is leading you with? For those of you who say, I'm just going to let the Spirit lead, let me just tell you, if that's the case, your stomach will lead you into the 21 days, <laughs> not the Spirit. And I want to encourage you to be a little more structured in that. With that... 
we have uh, provided for you resources to help you in this adventure and in this journey as well. Uh, on our website, on our app, uh, today on the way out, you can pick up, we have these little booklets. Um, and on the YouVersion app, we have a 21 days of prayer and fasting. There's a daily devotional um, that you can participate in every single day. Each of the 21 devotionals have been written by people from our congregation. As I said, this is on our app. If you go to the YouVersion app, which is not our app, but if you type in Cornwall Church, this will come up. If some of you say, I don't want to do the digital, we have these uh, in paper form. You can pick one up on your way out. All of the stuff in here, because it's not just the 21 days in here. There's some other practical ideas and, and helpful hints and such. Uh, those are all available, as I said, on our website as well as our app. But with that, you might be wondering, okay, so if I'm putting together intentional, an intentional plan, here are the questions I have. What should I fast from? How often should I fast? And how long should I fast? Because if you're saying, I can't eat for 21 days, I'm out. And that's not what I'm saying. What should you fast from? How often? And for how long? Well, I'm not going to answer those questions for you, but I will give you some hints because I want this to be something that you seek the Lord on, that you, that you put together a plan for you and God. I will say this, what shall I fast from? Whatever you choose to fast from, it ought to be something that you will miss. If I said to you, for the next 21 days, I'm going to fast from TikTok, Brussels sprouts, black coffee, and NPR. My life doesn't change at all because I'm not involved with any of those things in any manner whatsoever. However, if I said for the 21 days, I'm going to fast from cookies, which is a very big deal to me, peanut butter, podcasts, and Facebook, now I'm going to miss those things. So whatever it is, and that's why... Traditionally, fasting has been with food because you go too long without food, and for some of you, that's just 35 minutes. Your body begins to, to miss that. So whatever it is that you're going to say, I'm going to eliminate this, or I'm going to cut back on this, or I'm going to say no to this, it ought to be something that you will miss, and there's a reason for that. We'll get to that in a minute. So how often should I fast, or how long should I fast? Again, I, I don't have the answer for you on that. I would hope that you would challenge yourself, but to be realistic, and let me tell you, my approach to our 21 days of fasting, how I do it just structurally. This is not in any way to be a, a prideful thing. It's to give you an idea. Every time we do these 21 days of prayer and fasting, I look at it in three different layers, like a three-layered cake. I know, bad analogy when we're talking about fasting. But I, I think about what are some things that I'm going to give up for the entire 21 days? Uh, what will those, th you know, it's like, I can do this. It's not going to be a health issue. I'm not going to die or whatever. So honestly, and I, I'm not joking on this, I will be giving up cookies and, and desserts and sweets. This is a, a morning and evening ritual for me that I will miss greatly. And can I just say, for those of you who make me cookies occasionally, thank you. No more till February 1. That will help me out. Otherwise, get thee behind me, Satan. Okay, so I will be giving up cookies and sweets and stuff for the entire 21 days. There are some other things that I will as well. You may say, okay, well, what can I give up for those 21 days? Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, social media or maybe it's um, any kind of music or talk radio or news radio when I'm in the car, the drive time for the 21 days, whatever that might be. But what are some things that for 21 days, I'm just going to say, I'm going to say no to. 
And then my second layer is, I think, what are some things that I'm going to do on a weekly basis? Not for the entire 21 days. And maybe you might say, you know, every week on Wednesday, I'm going to, I'm going to not eat lunch. And instead of eating lunch, I'm going to go on a prayer walk or I'm going to look at uh, scripture, whatever it might be. Or maybe you say on Tuesday and Thursday, I'm going to do kind of the Daniel fast. I'm just going to do raw vegetables on Tuesday and Thursday, fruits and vegetables, and that's it. Or, or maybe I'm, on certain days, I'm, I'm going to do what they call the Jewish fast until 4 in the afternoon or until sunset or something like that. Or maybe you say one day a week, I'm going to fast completely, a 24-hour fast from food for that entire day. But not all week, just one day a week. And then the third layer is somewhere in those 21 days, I want to do something that actually stretches me, that I really am needing to be dependent on God for. And so again, for some of you who that this is a new discipline, you might say, like doing a full 24 hours, if, if it's a healthy thing. Listen, I, I'm, if your doctor says don't do this or whatever, please, okay, find something else. But maybe for some of you, it's like, I want to, I want to do a full day fast. Some of you do that regularly or have done that. Maybe you say, I want to do two or three days. Um, health concerns aside, going without food for two or three days will not kill you if you don't have uh, other health issues. And so maybe it, it's that. But here's what I want to suggest. That you're very intentional in these next few days before we start. And maybe even write it out. Here's what I'm going to do for 21 days. Here's what I'm going to do on a weekly basis. Here's what I'm going to do once during the 21 days. And as much effort as you put into what you're saying no to, put every bit as much effort into what you're saying yes to. Right. So for instance, for me in the 21 days, one of the things that I will be doing is I'll take a passage of scripture that I've never memorized before and I will immerse myself in it and I will memorize that passage of scripture. Um, it's not, not just reviewing, but it's a brand new passage of scripture for me. I'm gonna internalize that and memorize that over the 21 days. Maybe for you, uh, it, it might be, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn that radio off and the drive time is going to, or I'm going to turn the news off and turn worship music on. Or I'm going to take that time to just be still and be quiet. Instead of filling my head with all this noise all the time, just to learn silence, right. to listen to God. Or maybe it's to, to spend more time. Maybe part of it is to do this 21-day devotional. Every day I'm going to read this devotional that was written and the scriptures that are related to it. Or maybe I'm going to get involved with another Bible study plan or to med meditate, go to a prayer walk, whatever it might be. A lot of these ideas are listed in, in our resources that are available for you. But it's to be very intentional about those things. I mentioned Daniel. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel talks about his fasting. One of the times that he talks about fasting in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 10, he says, I ate no choice food. So he didn't not eat, but there was a certain part of his diet. He said, this part, it's, it's good, it's wonderful, but for this season, I'm not going to eat this stuff. And then he goes even further. No meat. So he said, for a while, I'm going to be a vegetarian. Or wine, touch my... He said, I'm going to eliminate alcohol from my life here. And I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. And that whole lotion thing, it's just like some creature comforts. I don't need these things. And so he's kind of put together this plan. I'm going to do a kind of a minimal, restricted, maybe a more bland diet. Not that the other things were bad. It's just for this season. I'm going to cut these things out and this out and, and this out. And what's interesting is at the end of that 21 days for Daniel, 
there was an insight that he got that no one else did. There was something God revealed to him that no one else had it revealed to. And there were some answers to prayer that came because of that 21 days. And I wonder, what does God have for us? What does God have for you as you seek him with all your heart? As you go on this adventure to seek the Lord, to know him more. Two more little hints, and then I'll close it up here. One is this. If you put together a plan, you go out of here, you're inspired, you're motivated, you're excited. You put together a plan, Wednesday you start, it's going great, and somewhere along the line, you mess up. You eat a cookie. You turn on the radio. Instead of saying, ah, I blew it. There's always next year. No. <laughs> Give yourself some grace. Say, ah, okay. Pick yourself back up and move on. Because you may not get it perfectly. And it's not like God's this taskmaster saying, you, blew you ate the cookie. He says, are you seeking me? So give yourself some grace in this. And the other thing is, when that which you have given up, which you will miss, reminds you that you're missing it, instead of being focused on, ah, oh, I don't get to this, I don't, can't eat this, I can't whatever this, let it be instead a thing to remind you to refocus on God. When your stomach, you're, if you're fasting from food or certain foods and your stomach is growling, instead of saying, man, I can't wait till I can eat this again, instead of saying, oh, that's right. God, I want to hunger and thirst for more of you. Refocus your attention on God. When you reach to turn on the radio or to listen to that podcast, you're like, no, no, no. I want to hear from God instead. And when you go into Facebook and you're like, you know what? I really want to be aware of what God's up to, not what my neighbor had for dinner last night. And just to refocus it. Let those things, instead of it reminding you of how horrible of an experience this is, why did Pastor Bob talk me into it in the first place? Let it be a reminder to redirect your attention to seek God and to find him. Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire but you. To say, God, I want to desire you more. I want to desire you more than my daily bread. I want to desire you more than my career. I want to desire you more than social media. I want to desire you more. All right, let's wrap this up. So here's what I want. I want to invite you, not coerce you. I hope that's been clear. If you don't want to do this, that's okay. I want to invite you, though, to do this. The second thing is I want to challenge you, but not burden you. It might be difficult. There's part of it that is. Self-denial is not always easy. That's not altogether bad. I do want to challenge you, but not burden you. And I want you to put together a strategic plan, but not a legalistic requirement. I want us to corporately together say no to some things so that we can say yes to someone even better. I want us to empty some things out of our lives and our schedules so we can fill ourselves with something even better. I want us to seek God. And as the psalmist writes in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. So over these next three days, pray about and prepare your plan for what am I going to do in these 21 days? Take advantage of the resources we have here available on the app, on the U version, on our website, in the booklet. And what a better way to start off the 21 days than on Wednesday night to come together in this room to worship together, to take communion together, 
And this started off praising the Lord. 